0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2022 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen.
1: Our Father in Heaven, we thank you once more for giving us a chance to be here together, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will interpret the words that I speak, will work in the hearts of all of us as we try to make the changes that you invite us to do so that we can have the abundant life. Starting here and, and not ever ending because you'll come to take us home for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so here we go. This is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with, remember, the context of all of our, of our talks has been the second coming of Jesus Christ. He wants, when he comes back, to give us uh, shalom. He wants us to be with him where he is uh in body mind and spirit he he wants us to have his mind he wants us to to do things the way he would he wants us to have his character and uh, one of the ways that that is talked about of course in the bible is the robe of righteousness so this works good all right thank you and of course the issue is shalom can you say that again okay so when i greet you today i say shalom and what do i mean Peace, yes, that's a small part. But everything that is good should be yours, right? That's what shalom means. It's, it's a complete package of health, okay? Everything that is good, mentally, physically, spiritually, socially, uh, economically even, all right? That you're you prospering and being in total and complete health. That's shalom. Now, did you know that there are some issues that... Uh, we need to pay attention to, because God's original intention for us was in fact this shalom. And this is not just his original intention, this is going to be his endpoint intention as well, because when Jesus comes back to take take us home, those of us who are his friends will experience this shalom. In the meanwhile, we have things that impact our health and our well-being. And we have seen some of this before, uh, we have issues that are uh, social and cultural. We have issues that are, uh, are physical. But the proportions of these things as they affect us, it might surprise you. Okay, the social uh, determinants, that's the one on top, socioeconomic factors, that's 40% of what affects our whole health. 40%. But now, don't assume that because it's socioeconomic, that it's something that's outside of our ability to influence or it's outside the ability of God to influence. God is able to do far beyond what we can ask or think. The physical environment, there are some things that we cannot control, but there are some things that we can control there too, and we can change what is going on in, in our immediate environment. Okay? We don't have to be rich to be clean. We don't have to be rich to be orderly. Okay? So we can do these things, and we will be healthier for them, uh, for doing them, uh, that's, that's good stuff. Now, th- then we have health behaviors, which we have been talking about a lot. But ultimately, God's desire, we have, we have a divine destiny that God is interested in. And he wants us to be able to, to make some substitutions. right? He wants us to, to surrender ourselves to him and the lower stuff for something higher. How many interested in doing that? Surrendering the lower for the higher. Surrendering the earthly for the heavenly. Right, but we're still here on Earth. We still have to, we still have to live here. But the day is going to come when heaven will be open to us. Right, uh, the temporal for the eternal. Sometimes we get so fixated on the things that are right here and now that we that we lose sight of what is to come. And of and also the issue of substituting uh, self-improvement, which we should do. We should uh, improve our situation. This is a, a, this is a divine. Uh, uh, I should say, mandate for us to improve ourselves. But never forget that the issue of self-improvement is not a substitute for self-surrender. Surrendering to God. And we'll we'll see a little bit more about that uh, later. Christ in you, Christ in me, the hope of glory. This is uh, part of the message. But you know, we live in a a dreadful world. And things happen to us even before we are able to to recognize that there's a problem. And this this slide is showing us about adverse childhood experiences. You know, we have talked about what happens in utero, what happens with mom before birth, what happens with dad before even conception, right? These things influence what's gonna happen to the baby, but even up to 18 years of age, the things that happen to us, what happens to children, can affect what happens and the results as adults. Okay? And this slide is to show uh, some of what it is. There are household challenges, there's abuse issues, there are neglect issues. And if these things are working together, they can actually shorten the expectancy of life for the individual who is so affected by up to 20 years. So imagine the rest of the, of the population is saying 70 or 78 or 76 years, and you're looking at 50, okay? And we might say, well, you know, that person, they, they looked okay. How come they die at, a, at, at such a young age? And we don't know what has gone on in the past, right? We don't know everything, and some of these things are actually occurring. So there's a, there's a system, I wish I could give you the whole story, but it was discovered... Uh, practically by accident, by Dr. Felitti and his colleagues at the University of San Diego uh, many years ago, they were dealing with people in, in a, an obesity, actually a morbid obesity clinic, and out of asking a misquestion, he was... <laughs> some, the, the question came out wrong, but the answer that he got led down a path to be able to discover what was going on in people. This is, as it says, adverse childhood, experiences are the single greatest unaddressed public health threat facing our society today. In every country where this has been studied, the results are very similar. This is a plague, okay? And it's what happens in the home of children before they're able to make their own choices. And even after they're able to make choices, what has happened to them and what is happening to them affects them so that their health in the future is in jeopardy, okay? Now, as we look at these things, some of the abuses and neglect in, include physical, emotional, sexual, uh, physical, emotional neglect, uh, mental illness in the family, uh, uh, mother treated violently. If the child observes the mother being treated violently, th- this hurts the child. It, it, produces a stress response in that child. It's so, it's so stressful, it's called toxic stress, okay? Uh, and if in, the ho- if in the household somebody has to be incarcerated or somebody dies while the child is, is young or there's a divorce, and this is one of the most common ones, just a simple thing, uh, if you can call it simple, a simple thing like a divorce scars that child and that child develops a problem, okay? this is looking at what goes on in a community okay because it's not just what's going on in the household it's what's going on in the whole community and children are exposed to all of these things and these things are scarring our children and we might wonder how come the society seems to be deteriorating part of it is because it is deteriorating okay and it's accelerating the deterioration so we have to be doubly careful and triply careful to make sure that the immediate environment of the child is protected. Uh, Ellen White says that we should allow children to be children. To be able to run and play and frolic the way children are supposed to, right? without fear. So that means we have to have an environment that is safe. Children need a safe environment in order to flourish. Okay. Uh, this one is, is showing what can happen uh, on the left bottom part of your screen, you'll be seeing the pregnant woman, the child, the toddlers, okay? All of what goes on here is actually incorporated into that child's entire being. Now, it does not mean that we cannot escape this, okay? Otherwise, we'd be like robots, you know, these are programs and that's it, we're, we're done. But now we have to undo some of those things. And the lifestyle that we we teach in all of its plenitude, in other words, not just the physical things that you do, but also the things that you do emotionally and spiritually, these also help a child to overcome the impact of the toxic stress that occurs during infancy and childhood. Okay? If we look at this uh, in this particular picture, since we have been talking about heart disease and uh, and brain disease, on the left-hand side of the screen, you see abuse, neglect, and uh, household dysfunction, and even community dysfunction. All right? Then that leads to depression and anxiety. Children today are, are committing suicide more frequently than any other group in the population. You may have heard that before. This is how it is. And social media is only accelerating things, especially among the young girls, okay? This leads to a heightened amount of inflammation, and that's what we're going to concentrate on, the inflammation, because the inflammatory response does not only affect what happens to the person psychologically, it, ha- it affects what happens to them physically, what's going to happen to them as time goes on in their physical body, in their physical diseases. And this was a huge surprise To scientists, as a matter of fact, the first group that heard the presentation about adverse childhood experiences, they laughed at the researcher. They ridiculed him, but he was telling the truth. He had discovered something that they just did not want to believe, and that led to Kaiser and uh, Emory University and the CDC. Designing the study to be able to demonstrate that this, in fact, was the truth. You would see under that, uh, that umbrella, this is about high blood pressure and coronary artery disease and premature death from heart disease. Okay, Related all the way back to things that may have happened in the childhood. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We might, we might hear of somebody uh, in the church... A 45-year-old guy in the prime of life, he has young kids and everything, and he has a massive heart attack. That's what people usually say, a massive heart attack. And he dies. And people say, how could that be? He must have been doing something wrong. No, it may not have been that he was doing something wrong. It's that things may have been done wrong to him. And he was just living it out. He, 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 he didn't... He didn't have the wherewithal or the knowledge or the ability to make the changes to counteract what had been done because he may have been completely oblivious to what went on in the past. As I tell people all the time, you were there in your mother's womb, but you weren't there. You can't tell what was going on. Most of the time we only know something from about three or four years of age, and usually it's because somebody has given us a story and we think that we were there, right? We remember it because they've said it so much, and we've seen some pictures and we say, okay, but we don't really remember it because we were were there but we weren't really there. And certainly in the womb, we were there but we weren't there. And this leads to poor health, and it leads to, to costs, it leads to a burden in the healthcare system. And much of this, if you look at this picture, the health message was designed for this, Because it attacks everything in this picture. Everything. And even more. Because this picture does not have the bath of sin that permeates everything in this world. So the health message is even more than that. What was the surprise? They found that people who had four or more of these hits, these adverse childhood uh, experiences. Four or more. They ended up with behavioral issues, okay? And I'll try to read them. Let's see, uh, lack of physical activity. You might say, I don't have any real desire to, to exercise. Oh yeah? That might be because of what happened in your childhood. Are you hearing me? And you might think, or, or your, <laughs> I'll talk to the men, your wife might think you're just being lazy. But you're not just being lazy. You just don't have it in you to want to exercise. But it doesn't mean you can't get to exercise, all right? Because if you know these things, God is able to change you into one who will enjoy what He wants you to enjoy, right? Smoking. More smoking, if you have more of these uh, hits. Alcoholism, if you have more of these hits. Drug use, if you have more of these hits. And also missed work. So some, some people, they, they get a job. You say, finally, he's, he's going to be you know, on the right track. He goes to work. Uh, three weeks later, he's out of work. And you say, what's wrong with this guy? Or what's wrong with this girl? Well, something is wrong. It happened all the way back when that child may not have been aware of what's happening. But then the physical problems. Severe obesity, this was was the trigger that actually uh, allowed us to to find out about this thing. Diabetes, depression, suicide attempts, STDs, promiscuity is a big one. And in this study, okay, this was a study of 17,000 people, the promiscuity that they were looking at is young women having more than 50 sexual partners by the time they're 18 years of age. More than 50, are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. This is, obs- this is absolutely abnormal, right? And you wonder, why would you be doing this? Well, there are things that happened in the past that is pushing in that direction. Broken bones, chronic obstructive lung disease, stroke. Individuals who smoke even if they smoke a little bit, are more prone to having chronic obstructive lung disease if they have these hits. Now, we don't understand all the reasons why, but we believe that the physiologic thing that is happening or the pathologic thing that's happening is linked to inflammation, and that's where we're going. So, some people end up having to use medications to treat their illnesses because they've had these hits in the past. Are you following me? So when we tell somebody, you don't need to take that medication, you're just not doing the right thing. I'm not pointing at you really, you know that, right? (laughs) Because you're not doing the right thing. Please, don't do that. Jesus gave us a good set of instructions. Judge not. Judge not. Now it doesn't mean don't discern, but now that you've heard these things, we should be helping one another, not hurting one another. We should be encouraging one another to do well, but never use ourselves as the example. Why? Because we're all messed up. (laughs) We're all sick, okay? There's only one who is perfect. Let's emulate him. Make sense? Okay. So, to use medications is not necessarily a bad thing. But now, I believe that Seventh-day Adventists, we have a drug problem. Okay? And the drug problem is this. We know that we should abstain from the use of tobacco. Amen? Yes. We should abstain from the use of alcohol. Amen? Okay. Now, does that mean we should abstain from the use of insulin? Come on, guys. Somebody said, of course not, right? Do you know that there, I have had to work with people who believe that even insulin, when it is absolutely necessary to save somebody's life, they say, no, Ellen White said, no drugs. Are you hearing me? Now, I am saying this, and I don't know who you are. There might be somebody here who believes what I just said to not quite be living up to what Ellen White said. But I want to let you know that I've made this a great study of mine and I've looked at what she has said and she talks about the rational use of therapies and the drugs that she was talking about and they're poisonous, okay? There's no use for those things. But some of the things that we're doing today are lifesavers. They're not God, but they are lifesavers. And they talk about, oh well, don't, you don't, you you can't use anything that's going to leave an effect, especially if it if it you know interferes with your mind. True, 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 absolutely true. But you know, under some circumstances, you do have to do that, such as when you're undergoing surgery. Now, we all know that Ellen White did not condemn surgery. As a matter of fact, she said, who was guiding the hand of the surgeon? God was guiding the hand of the surgeon. So she... God guiding the hand of somebody who's doing the wrong thing? Come on, this doesn't make sense, right? So, but what happened with surgery? What do you do with surgery? How do you get somebody under the knife? We use anesthetics. Right? Do you know that in the United States they wanted to kill the doctor who first started to use ether in the United States? The evangelical uh, brethren wanted to kill them. Ellen White never spoke against it, and she was alive during that time. Okay? Thank you. So we have a drug problem. We don't understand what she meant. And I would suggest that we make this... Uh, We make this part of our study, especially if we are not quite sure how to deal with this. But anesthetics are designed to mess with our minds, to put us to sleep, and to cause us to forget, otherwise some of us would be a really living mess, okay, Uh, if we had to undergo surgery the way they were doing it uh, in the early 1800s, okay? Yes. So our drug problem as Seventh-day Adventists, is confusion about what drugs are and how to apply the statements that Ellen White had made. And we also have an issue with what is natural. Just as before, I showed you what a vegan diet looked like. Okay. Remember that one? Right? And you said, no, that's not, <laughs> that might be vegan, but it's not healthy. Right? Because it was a, 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 a cola and... Uh, French fries and ketchup, right? That, that's not healthy. In the same way, we can say that not all things that are natural are good. Okay. I remember uh, when, I a, a man, <laughs> when I was a younger man. When uh, I was a younger man, we had we had just had uh, a baby, and along with babies come changing diapers and things, all those nice fun things. And I was giving a talk. uh, uh, I was in Pennsylvania at the time. And someone took me to task about natural, you know. We use what is natural, what is natural. Everything that's natural seems to be good. And I pointed out that I throw away a lot of natural things in those diapers. Not too good, <laughs> right? Yeah, so all that's natural is not good, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't go after the things that are naturally good for us. Am I making sense? Right. The things that are naturally good, these are the things that we're talking about. Okay, good. Let's move on to pesticides. Now, one of the things that happens when we are in conferences and seminars like this is that we all may have a tendency to concentrate on on something some one thing that we say okay I'm gonna I'm gonna that that's attractive to me right and what we have been trying to do over the course of these uh, few days is to give you the the broad bigger picture so that you're not really fixating and you're not concentrating on just minor things but I put this here to remind me to remind you okay this is talking about pesticides and the link between pesticides and heart disease. And you know, we can be very fastidious, and we can go home and read all the labels, and make sure that we don't have any of this pesticide in our cupboards. Get rid of them. Get rid of all the plastics that have anything to do do with this. Get rid of all the mosquito repellents and whatnot that have anything to do with this. And you know what? We'll be doing a good thing. But I hope that before we're finished today, you will see that there are bigger things that we should do. Not that we shouldn't do this, but we should pay attention to the bigger things that have a bigger impact. Okay? We shouldn't major in minors. And we're going to get to some of those majors that we should be doing, because everything is really not under our control. We need to realize that. We need to recommend, uh, recognize that everything is not under our control. There are some things that other people control. There are some things that we, you know, that's just kind of how it is. But we can control and we should control what can be controlled, right? And we should take first things first, the big things first, right? All right, because those things will have the bigger impact. And one of the issues of what we can control is what? Ourselves. One of our biggest lacks is lack of self-control. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Right? You know, I am not a big ice cream eater, but every so often I like ice cream. We already got the apple pie, okay? So now you take apple pie and ice cream, right? (laughs) That's pie a la mode. This is is absolutely uh, delicious. They say it's to die for. (laughs) But who wants to die of ice cream and apple pie overdose? I mean, that that doesn't make sense, right? So we, we, we need to be careful about what it is that we're actually uh, dealing with when we talk about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. And self-control, we may have self-control in one area, but be a mess in another area, okay? Uh, For me, I I am blessed. God gave me a wife. That was supposed to be funny. (laughs) But it's not funny. My wife helps me and I help her, right? And together, we do better than either of us would do alone, okay? But you know, self-control is kind of a misnomer. It's it's a real concept, but it's a misnomer. You know why? Because of where we get self-control from. We must exercise self-control in order to get its benefits. But where do we get it from? Anybody? Raise your hand. Through the Holy Spirit, right? We get self-control, according to Galatians 5, 22 and 23, as part of the fruit of the Spirit. So really, the issue for self-control is surrendering and yielding ourselves to the Spirit's control. Are you hearing me? Right? this is what it's about and the success that i have in being able to do some things to improve my own health it's because god has given to me the ability to do that and he has given it to you he has given it freely he says you know more than a a father would uh would want to give good gifts to his kids he is willing to give to us the holy spirit and the holy spirit he comes bearing gifts, right? It's called fruit. Against such things, Galatians 5.23 says, there is no law, right? But part of our problem is we need a brain fix. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is able to do that, to fix our thinking, to fix the way we are seeing things. The Sermon on the Mount Mount was Jesus' approach to brain fixing, brain surgery for the disciples and those who were hearing him. He was trying to tell them what really is, not just what they were thinking. Okay? And so we're going to deal with this brain fixing because the devil has seen fit to make sure that one of the most devastating problems affecting human beings today, when we should be at the prime of wisdom, and the prime of being able to help those who are coming behind is taking us out with a problem called dementia. Dementia is like brain failure. There are multiple risk factors for it. There are various pathologic mechanisms involved, all of them working in harmony to damage our brains and damage our ability to think and to do and to act, and to will, and even, not just to relate to each other, but to relate to God. This is the ultimate sinister effect of Satan in this world. So far, we have found about 36 different deficits, all of them acting in harmony to damage the brain. And we believe that there are still more to be discovered. So there are probably going to be about 50 or 60 of them by the time we're all done, okay? So how do we approach this? Well, so far, scientists and, uh, <laughs> and pharmaceutical companies, they're looking for the magic bullet. You're one thing that will take care of the whole problem. But remember what I just told you. How many deficits did I say we have? About 36 that we have discovered so far, right? It's not going to be solved by one pill. Okay? Because we don't know what is happening with this particular person. Which combination of those 36 or 50 uh, might be affecting that person. Are you following what I'm saying? So, uh, some of the scientists looking at this in a very active way have found different ways. And one of the things is to use an individualized approach with a generalized construct. And the generalized construct is multi Systems that are being affected going through one pathway, and that pathway is inflammation, okay? And how can we deal with the entire thing unless we know what is going on with this person, okay? So it's a multi-system, multi-deficit problem that we have to individualize the care, all right? So what does that mean? Well, Dr. Dale Bredesen out in, uh, out in California, he has come up with a protocol that specifies what someone can do to help stave off, in general, dementia. Okay? I think you would like to see this, right? And I'm going to read it. Okay? He has used this protocol with individuals and other doctors have used this protocol with individuals to help to uh, reduce the burden of dementia, Alzheimer's dementia, and others, um, by just doing some things that we might say relatively simple. Okay, and you will remember some of these because they're very similar to the kinds of things that we have been talking about here, and that have been written about by Ellen White all the way back since 1863. All right. So here's this. Remove all refined carbs. You know what the refined carbs are? That's the sugars, right? Get rid of the sugars. Remove all sweetened beverages and meats. Meats. This guy, he's saying remove meat. What is he? Some kind of Adventist or something? No, he's not. Okay. Exercise. Aerobic and resistance exercise. Okay. Exercise the brain by continuous learning, deep reading. What am going to say is, is, is some of the deepest reading we can do? Read what, what book? The Bible. the Bible. Okay. So here. I mean, he isn't saying, read the Bible, but we can say, read the Bible, right? Reduce and manage stress. How do we reduce and manage stress most effectively? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will direct your paths. He calls us, He says, come, come, all ye that are heavy laden, right? Come unto me and I will give you rest. Okay? Okay. He is the big burden bearer, right? Find oasis of peace. Uh Uh-oh, peace. He says, he says, peace. I say, shalom, right? He says, attend to dental issues. I did not uh, put the slide in that shows the effects of what happens in the mouth and the inflammation in the mouth that leads to systemic inflammation that increases the risk of heart disease and cancer and diabetes and hypertension. Right? But that is so. Next, intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting. Now, that's a nice term. It means that you, you don't eat for a certain period of time and you eat at, at a certain period of time. Okay? And basically, what the, uh, the most popular and easiest and most effective uh, intermittent fasting regimen is having uh, one meal in the morning, about six hours later having another meal, and not having anything else until you go around to the next morning. Okay? Did you get that? Yeah. Meal in the morning, big meal, meal about six hours later, and not having anything else until the next morning. Now you'd say, but that sounds, that sounds, I've heard something like that before. That sounds like a two meal a day plan. Yeah, Yeah. when we said two meal a day plan, people were, no, 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 you can't do that. We changed the name to intermittent fasting. (laughs) And now you can go on the internet and just type in intermittent fasting and you'll see all these regimens that everybody is saying. These, do this. And you see all the science behind it. But when it was two meals a day planned, it was like, mm, we don't want to do that. All right. Sleep seven to eight hours per night. You've heard that as well, all right? And then he also includes specific supplements and testing uh, and yes, and so you, you test, you see what might be lacking, and you make sure you, uh, you add to that. Now, does this sound like a, like a complex thing to you? It's so simple. Now, does it mean it will work with everyone? No. But it will give most people a chance, a fighting chance, okay, to do something, and much of the issue we need to realize The problem with dementia does not start at the time that the person has dementia. It's at least 20 years in the making. Okay? So guess when we should be... (laughs) Uh, when, When should we be making the changes and so on? When should we be doing that? As early as possible, right? As early as possible. Okay? I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on you. Some of the specific vitamin factors that uh, Bredesen has identified, again, not in all cases, but look at these. Vitamin B12, melatonin, vitamin D, vitamin E, CoQ10, and uh, hormone replacement therapy in some women, okay? Okay, so a dozen lifestyle changes that may lower future Alzheimer's risk. This is not the dirty dozen, it's a good dozen, right? Say no to cigarettes, keep good emotional health, uh, avoid obesity, uh, avoid reverse or control diabetes and hypertension, uh, education, early education, and continuous education. Okay, the more we learn, the more formal education we have, the more music we learn, the more reading we do, right? it, it helps the brain to have all these connections that makes it more difficult for dementia to occur. All right? uh, protect your hearing, treat hearing loss effectively, avoid, uh, re- and, and the reason for that is if we don't hear we're actually decreasing some of the inputs into our brain. And this decreased input leaves the brain more or less isolated, and that isolation actually increases the risk of dementia. Avoid reversal control physically uh, and be physically active. Avoid treat periodontal disease. Avoid and remedy social isolation. Uh, don't, don't be alone. Have friends. It's not good that man or woman should be alone. Avoid head trauma, say no to alcohol, and eat a balanced plant-based diet. Come on, this guy sounds like he is ready for the baptismal pool, right? Yeah, Yeah. but there is no righteousness by works, by veggie burger or any other of these lifestyle things, right? There's no righteousness by that. Okay, so some of the foods, I'm always cautious when I do this, but I'm going to put it up anyway. Some of the foods that uh, he recommends, because people then will say, oh, if a little is good, a lot is better. So they're going to, uh, you know, do this. But tomatoes, olives, olive oil, green leafy vegetables, nuts, right? He includes fatty fish. I do not, okay? Fruits such as strawberries, blueberries, cherries, uh, oranges, seeds such as flaxseed, chia seeds, black walnuts, etc. all right? And you can get some of this from some of the classes, other classes that we've had at the camp meeting uh, that Vicky has been involved in, right? Foods that inflame, foods that cause more inflammation, and therefore, if you would reduce these or avoid some of them, uh, you might do better with regard to protecting yourself. Refined carbohydrates such as white bread and pastries, French fries and other fried foods, sodas, sugar sweetened, artificial sweetened beverages, red meats, burgers, steaks, etc., processed meat, hot dogs, sausages, etc., margarine, shortening, and lard. Okay, these are things that we should uh, uh, avoid, or if we're going to have some, we have it. In, in very uh, moderate quantities. Now, one of the things that has also been shown besides uh, uh, mental exercise is physical exercise. And, and this, this is just to impress you, that when we physically move, when we exercise, we're actually stimulating things in the brain. And one of the factors in the brain that is, uh, that is helpful for producing new cells and new connections in those cells is called something called BDNF, Brain Divide Neurotropic Factor. And BDNF, one of the most important things to get that, that factor produced and circulating in our brain, making good brain soup, okay, is exercise, physical exercise. So when you are physically exercising, you're actually helping your brain. Okay? You're helping your brain. Uh the doctors, Shirzai out in Loma Linda, they have come up with their Alzheimer's Solution and a 30-day uh, Alzheimer's Solution uh, cookbook. I'm not, I'm not advertising for them, I'm just saying that uh, there's a center in Loma Linda that is helpful for people who are thinking that they might be losing a little bit of their edge and they want to get some help, okay? But lo and behold, a few years ago, someone found that folks who were eating mushrooms—these this, this are not, um, you know, hallucinogenic mushrooms or anything like that—just you know, regular <laughs> mushrooms, right? <laughs> folks who were eating mushrooms actually seem to have less problems with memory loss and Alzheimer's and things like that. So this was studied, and the U.S. government actually uh, uh, con- actually paid for a huge study looking at mushrooms and, uh, and dementia and what they found was that having mushrooms as part of your diet actually seems to be somewhat protective against Alzheimer's disease. It does not mean go out and, and overdose on mushrooms. What it says is uh, we're finding out that there are some little factors that may, be, uh, that may also be helpful. Okay, So let me give you a couple of patients that went through the Bredesen uh, protocol. This is a 70-year-old man. That's not his picture, I just put up a picture that I got uh, from the internet, and it's attributed there below. Uh, 12-year history of progressive accelerating memory loss. He had neurologic testing in 2003, 2007, 2013. It showed progressive loss of function from the 84th percentile of function to down to the first percentile, which means he really deteriorated, okay? 99% of people were doing better than he was, okay? He was unable to remember the lock combinations, faces, schedules, etc. He had difficulty at work, difficulty with numbers. He had a PET scan, a positron uh, emission tomography scan, that showed typical Alzheimer's disease that affected his temporal and temporal parietal uh, areas. He was diagnosed with early Alzheimer's disease and lo and behold, he had improvement at six months. His coworkers he could recognize His schedule, he could remember, faces, his wife noted, no further decline when he went on this protocol. A fluke, maybe it was just an accident, maybe it was was misdiagnosed, maybe it wasn't Alzheimer's disease, right? That's what some people would say. So here's another one. In him, they had all of these different tests, and in 2013, you see the things on the left, in blue, and then in yellow, what happened after he was on the program uh, uh, for two years, and there you see uh, improvement in all of the parameters that they were testing. Here's exhibit B. 67-year-old woman, high-level business analyst, two years of progressive memory loss. She traveled widely from company to company, analyzing vast amounts of data and to derive conclusions. This was what she did, this was her job. She missed her turn in her neighborhood, She'd be reading from from the bottom of the page and forget uh, what was on the top of the page. So she was having a serious problem that would affect her job, right? She was no longer able to remember numbers and she had to write down even four-digit numbers to remember them, okay? She also noticed that she could mix up the names of her pets and she forgot where the light switches were in her home even though she had been living in that home for years. So she was becoming significantly impaired. She could not work. She had trouble uh, uh, driving around her own, her own neighborhood and being in her own home. Her mother had developed similar progressive cognitive decline beginning in her early 60s. She had become severely demented, entered a nursing home, and died at approximately 80 years of age. Okay? When the patient consulted her physician about her problem, she was told that she had the same problem her mother had had and that there was nothing that he could do about it. Okay? That was what the doctor said. Uh, He wrote in her chart, Memory Problems, and that was it. She had no hope. However, she heard about this uh, Bredesen guy, and she began the Bredesen system. Uh, She was partially adherent. She didn't do the whole thing. You know how it is, right? How many of you do exactly everything that our health message says you should do? Okay, I see no hands being raised. I see some hands trying to get up, but I see no hands being raised. Okay. We do the best we can, right? Until we get sick enough. Okay? Until we get sick enough. I've had patients who would, you know, they do some things. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And when they get sick, they say, I'm ready. And what they expect is that now that they're going to do this, in two days they're going to be cured. Can I get a witness? Right? This is what we'd all like to have happen, but this is, it doesn't work quite like that, so we need to prevent uh, problems in the future. All symptoms abated in three months once she got on the program. She could navigate without problems, remember telephone numbers without difficulty, read and retain information, prepare reports without difficulty, and overall she became asymptomatic. Her memory became better than it had been in many years. She discontinued the protocol. She said, I am doing so well, this was not Alzheimer's, this was not any, I'm, I'm done. I don't have to do that stuff anymore. I like ice cream and apple pie, right? She discontinued the protocol for acute viral illness with noticeable decline and she reverted upon restarting the protocol. In other words, after stopping, she got worse, she started back doing the things that she knew, she should do, and she got better. At age 70, two and a half years later, she is asymptomatic and continues to work full time. Okay, now I can continue on with about a 100 of these. Okay? So what do we expect? You expect if you're gonna go on this protocol and you're gonna get help, three to six months. If you're not, if you're not improving, it's either the diagnosis was wrong, you're just not a responder, or we should look for some other things that might be going on, or maybe you're not doing quite what you should be. For those of you who are interested, Dale Bredesen's book, The End of Alzheimer's Disease, is something that you might want to read. Uh, a major factor in the whole process is this inflammation, and we need to understand that as you, if, if you or your loved one is uh, undergoing some Symptoms of dementia, part of the issue is being able to classify what it is that might be going on because the way in which we approach this is different for the different types. One is called type one. This is uh, Bredesen's uh, diagnostic classification. And this one is characterized by systemic inflammation. And this is the major problem with most people who have Alzheimer's disease, right? Systemic inflammation. Sure. Okay. You got it? All right. The next one. So these individuals have uh, high high inflammatory markers, okay? The next one is type two. This is the atrophic profile. This person, essentially, uh, brain portions are are slowing down and shutting down, right? And these individuals usually have uh, a hormonal problem that is facilitating their Alzheimer's disease, such as low estradiol or estrogens, low uh, progesterone, low testosterone, low insulin, low vitamin D, often low homocysteine, and insulin resistance. So these individuals, I remember uh, on Monday, Vicky had asked me about the relationship between uh, what they were calling type 3 diabetes and Alzheimer's disease, this is that, okay? And then there's a, really a type three, according to Bredesen scale. Uh, This one is usually in younger people, 40 to 60 years of age, and they have a particular genotype. They have to, if you do gene testing on anybody who has dementia, and you find this genotype, it's typical uh, what these individuals have. The symptom onset uh, usually follows periods of great stress, okay? So they also have an inflammatory component to their situation. Um, usually, they have uh, some specific problems with thinking. Their thinking is disturbed. Uh, they can't calculate very well. Uh, they, they don't speak very well, and they lose their executive functions. In other words, they, they can't initiate and get things done. They have a difficult time navigating uh, their situation. I remember making the diagnosis of someone I was working with, okay, a relatively young lady, uh, 53 years of age, and noticed that she was having some issues. And she, you know, they had to uh, do some training because they thought maybe she was just kind of losing her edge on the computer, but it was more than that. Uh, Actually she turned out to have uh, type three, Alzheimer's disease, and she underwent treatment. Okay. You see, the brain is the brain, but the brain is also the heart of the matter, (laughs) okay? And this is part of what we need to pay attention to. The heart and the brain are linked to each other. They're linked to each other. And so when we deal with what's going on in the heart, we now have to take a closer look. We only have a few minutes left, so here's what we're gonna do. I want you to read this, and with the person next to you, see how you would answer. I'll read the question and see how you would answer. Question one A teenager drives by my yard, your yard, uh, with the car stereo blaring acid rock. How would you answer this? A, I begin to understand why teenagers can't hear. Or B, I can feel my blood pressure starting to rise. Talk to the person next to you and see whether you'd be an A answer or a B answer. You have to choose one. It's a forced choice. Okay, yeah, some people are saying, boy, this is hard. And it's not because you have Alzheimer's disease, okay? (laughs) Next one. The person who cuts my hair trims off more than I wanted them to cut. Now, that would be a luxury for me. (laughs) I tell him or her what a lousy job he or she did, or B, I figure it'll grow back, And I resolve to give my instructions more forcefully next time. Which of those, A or B, would you do? Okay, now we go to number three. I am in the express checkout line at the supermarket. Now, this was not written for Adventists, but I am going to Adventicize it. You're in the express checkout line on Friday afternoon, just before sunset. You're getting your last things done, okay? And the sign reads, no more than 10 items, please. But the person in front of you has 256 items in their basket. And the way you know it is because you've counted it. (laughs) No. So what do you do? You pick up a magazine to pass the time or you glance ahead to see if anyone has more than 10 items. Which one would you do? Okay, all right. Now I'm not gonna ask you how you answered. What I am gonna say is that there are 43 or 46 questions like this, that if you were to do the test and if you would like to get a copy of this uh, to do, it's, it's fun, but you'll see the importance in a little while. If you were to do something like this, it will help you to determine whether you have a characteristic that increases your risk of heart disease, okay? Okay, you can get it through the Conference Office in Health Ministries through Vicki Griffin, all right? So, here's the thing. You see that, all right. But part of it is the following. What we're looking for in that test is hostility. Now, I know that sounds like a bad word, but what is hostility? Hostility uh, is broken down into three major things. One of them is anger. We get angry at things. Another one is aggression. We act out on that anger. And the third one is a sleeper. We usually don't consider this to be a problem. It's called cynical disbelief. Cynical disbelief, okay? We're gonna unpack that. But people who score high on the hostility scale for men, this was one of the most predictive factors. If you take blood pressure, weight, uh, family history, take all of those things into account, the people who had hostility high on the scale were more likely to have a heart attack, more likely to die of a heart attack, and if they'd had a heart attack before, more likely to have a, another heart attack. How does that sound? Pretty predictive, right? This is what they found. You see, hostility heightens inflammation. And this inflammatory response increases the risk of high blood pressure, diabetes, coronary artery disease, Alzheimer's disease, and I can continue along a list. Okay? But there's a diet, they say, that is proven to reverse heart disease and reduce inflammation. I want to correct these people because I got this one off the internet uh, from families uh, eatingbetter.com. It's actually not one diet. It's one way of living. It's a whole way of living. It's a way that includes several components. One, it involves the heart and the mind. The heart, ladies and gentlemen, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So we can even fool ourselves. The Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, we should keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The Bible says a merry heart does good like a medicine. The Bible says, love the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So you want a hearty lifestyle? Then what, how, how much and when we eat and even why we eat becomes important because I told you earlier the issue is not the size that you have. The gates of heaven are large enough for the largest person to enter. But there isn't a crack that the glutton can squeeze into. Gluttony is a problem. Weight is not. We should do things and eat with thanksgiving. Physical exercise, we've talked about that. How much, when, etc. We need to get also enough rest. So it's physical activity on one side and rest. Rest and recreation on the other side. So rest, physical, emotional, spiritual. We should embrace... The simplicity of the Sabbath. God calls us to rest, but He says that there is a rest that remains. Hebrews talks about that, and that is resting in Him, to surrender to Him. The hardy lifestyle includes recreation. So that's R E, creation, not recreation, starting with a W. We don't wreck creation, right? And the recreation is for all of us. We should preserve body, mind, and soul for the coming of Jesus Christ, right? 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 23. So there's a diagnosis that God makes for human beings. He says that he diagnoses us with stiff necks. I'm sorry. That's God's diagnosis. He says, you and I, we are stiff-necked people. Elsewhere, he changes it. The metaphor is no longer the neck and the head. He goes into the chest. He says, we are hard-hearted people. He says, we have hearts of stone. And Ezekiel 36 describes this. Ezekiel 36, 26 says that he will do this. He will take out our hard, stony hearts, and he will replace it with soft, tender hearts so that we will know the statutes, and what else? We will do them. He takes the responsibility even for doing this. He says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you To keep my statutes and do them. Doesn't that sound like great news to you? It sounds like excellent great news to me. You see, the health message is not to make life bitter. God gave it to us to make life better. And he says he is willing to do way beyond, far beyond, what we can even ask or think He has made provision for us. He wants to be our heart surgeon. He wants to take this heart that we have and he wants to give us a tender heart, the heart of Jesus Christ. And that means that we need to be able to forgive. To forgive, forgive. Because he forgave us. We don't forgive because we don't really understand how much he has forgiven us. There are two things that shall take a man before his time, this person said, that which he eats and that which eats him. Ladies and gentlemen, don't let sin eat you away. Don't let bad habits eat you away. Don't let worry and all of these things that burden us Rob us of the abundant life. God calls us to enjoy the abundant life. He says he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And you know what? We can only get so far. The rest we have to wait for. Because when he comes back, We're going to get the full shalom. Everything perfect. No more Alzheimer's disease. No more heart disease. No more diabetes. No more high blood pressure. No more cancer. No more suffering. No more adverse childhood experiences. We're gonna be with him forever and ever, the way he intended. Shalom. You have a question, ma'am? Does Weimar offer the Bredesen Protocol in the Weimar, in our, our health ministry? It is similar to the Bredesen Protocol. It's called Weimar New Start. So Dr. Nedley is here. I would suggest that you, uh, chat with him and find out uh, from him what they're doing. Okay? Yes, ma'am. So the Bredesen protocol
0: with, the, you know, with people with comorbidities like autoimmune disease, have
1: they seen similar results? Uh, it doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, that, that, thank you for the question. The issue is, if you will notice, the lifestyle that Bredesen uh, advocates is very similar to the lifestyle that we advocate. Which, which actually covers a wide variety of illnesses, okay? Sometimes I ask people, uh, especially those who are very, you know, dogmatic about what Ellen White said. I say, what did Ellen White say about treating diabetes? And they go and they look. And what they find is that she said nothing about treating diabetes. Why? She's talking about treating people. <laughs> if we were to do these things, we reduce our risk of getting diabetes, we reduce our, etc. We have found uh, in our own studies that uh, going on an abstemious diet, uh, et cetera, these things reduce inflammation and they reduce uh, some of the symptoms associated with autoimmune diseases. Yes. Not all, but it does help. Thank you. You're welcome. My time is up, and I think they're going to shoo us out of here if we don't uh, make a move. If you would like to ask questions, I will go to the back of the room. And could, no event coming after this. Oh, he, he just gave us free reign. But I'm not going to impose on you. Let's stand and let's see who would. Some of you tell me that you were blessed. Okay, here we have some. If you were blessed, let's have a prayer together. All right?
0: Wonderful Lord Father in heaven, thank you for your mercy and love and for keep us our Lord. In Alive, life, one more day, and thank you, Lord, for the Sabbath, is coming very soon, and we commend our lives to you, Lord, and we ask for your protection and your guidance by the power of your Holy Spirit. Bless each family, each heart who are here, Lord, representing in this camp meeting. Bless all the leaders, the, the teachers, and, and fathers who came here to give us lord this beautiful um, knowledge how we can uh, live a healthy please lord uh, help us to to take this seriously in our life we ask you to forgive us for our sin thank you for the sabbath in jesus name we pray amen amen To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 22 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcasts.